Hey, well, good morning. Uh, as you know, we are now meeting live every Sunday morning for Church in the Field, 10.30 a.m. We have uh, sun shelters for shade. You can bring your lawn chair, your beach blanket, your camp chair, whatever you want to bring. Uh, bring some water, bring some sunscreen, wear a mask, and keep it over your face. I saw some of you, you know, yet down a little bit. Now, um, this is online for people who are out of town, uh, for people who don't feel safe gathering in public yet. Uh, we understand all of that, so we're going to continue to have online content. And uh, so while we are gathering right now uh, in it. Faith on Hill for Church in the Field, we are continuing uh, online as well. And I'm preaching from the same notes. So the online message is the same notes that I'm preaching from in person. I want to ask you about this, because today we are going to be talking about marriage and divorce and what Jesus thinks about human relationships. But what is the unpardonable sin? What is the sin that is so bad that it cannot be forgiven? The unpardonable sin. Over the years, there have been different opinions about whether there is an unpardonable sin or what it is. Some have said that suicide is the unpardonable sin. You cannot be forgiven if you commit suicide. Uh, some have said uh, other sins are, are the unpardonable sin. Suicide is a terrible and tragic thing. Sin is a terrible and tragic thing. Divorce is a terrible and tragic thing. But it's not the unpardonable sin. This morning, I want to establish a few guiding principles for our, our conversation. I want to establish a few foundational ideas that will frame everything else we talk about. And the first is this. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. If you look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 31, Jesus says, all sins may be forgiven except the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That cannot be forgiven. What does that mean, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? The, the Bible says that God the Holy Spirit is with every person convicting them and convincing them of their need for Jesus. The, the Holy Spirit is speaking to every person. Turn from your sin. Embrace Jesus. Follow Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. But if a person has said, no, 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 and they die, that sin cannot be forgiven. There is no sin, there is no secret shame that the cross of Jesus does not cleanse us of. Think about the worst thing you've ever done. Jesus' death on the cross satisfied the payment for that. There is nothing that you have done that Jesus cannot and will not forgive. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Jesus said the only thing that's unpardonable is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, rejecting God the Holy Spirit as he calls you to Jesus. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. The second guiding principle that I want to establish this morning is that the church should not ostracize 
people who are divorced, people who are single, or people who are remarried. The church should not ostracize them. If you are divorced and unremarried, if you are divorced and you are remarried, that should not carry a stigma in the church. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says, if somebody has fallen in sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a person. That we shouldn't, people shouldn't walk around with a scarlet letter for the rest of their lives and we just point and go, oh, that person they weren't strong enough. They weren't, they weren't able to keep it together. And for the rest of their lives, they're going to have to live with that. I mean, that might be true, but we're not the ones to bring that kind of ostracism. Can a person who has been divorced or a couple who were divorced and remarried be active and vibrant? It's <coughs> be active and vibrant and serve in the church? Yes, absolutely. I do not believe that being divorced disqualifies any woman or man from active participation in the church. But God hates divorce. Malachi chapter 2 verse 16 says it as clearly as you can. God hates divorce divorce. I said a minute ago that being divorced does not disqualify a person from active participation in the church, even and including church leadership. One of the best pastors in our family of churches is divorced and remarried. I do not believe that he is in any way disqualified. One of the best pastors in our family of churches was an adulterer. And, and both he and his wife had been unfaithful to each other. And God healed and restored their marriage and then brought them into pastoral ministry. That did not disqualify them. Here's what does. Unrepentant sin. God hates divorce. So if a person comes to a place of saying, I don't care what God says, I'm going to do what I want anyway, then they are in sin. But if a person comes to a place of repentance and says, I have sinned against God, I have done what I should not have done, Jesus, I need your forgiveness and your mercy and your cleansing, and Jesus says, yes, it's yours, then who am I? to hold that against them. In Mark chapter 10, we are going to see Jesus teach about marriage and divorce. Mark chapter 10 verse 1 says that Jesus left that place, went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, people, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. So the beginning of chapter 10 marks a change in the story of the Gospel of Mark. Up until now, Jesus has primarily been in the northern part of Israel, the region of Galilee. Now he has come to the south, to Judea and to Jerusalem, and he will stay and he will be on a direct path to the cross. He has come and he is moving his base of operations. From now on, he is in the Jerusalem area, 
and he is on a direct path to the cross, and he has now come, and there are people who have heard about what Jesus is doing up in the Galilee. Maybe they, have, they had traveled up to see him, but now he's there with them. So they, there's a large crowd, and they gather around, and he begins to teach. And verse 2 says, Some of the Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Why would they have asked that? Why would they have asked that? Divorce was accepted in the Jewish society. There was stigma and shame attached to certain aspects of it, but it was accepted in Jewish society. You could get divorced. And in Roman society, it was fair game. No-fault divorce. You, you didn't even have to, you didn't even, parts of the Roman Empire, you didn't even have to tell the other person that you were divorced. It was just like, no, I'm not with them anymore. And somebody could, if you were a soul, you know, if you had traveled to another town and then you got married to someone else, you didn't even have to tell your spouse back in, in your hometown, oh yeah, I got divorced and remarried. Like, it was just craziness. There was no idea of formality or, hey, you can't do that or any of that. So why is it they were testing him? Why is it they were testing him? When they say, hey, teacher, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? There was not a question about this. The only question in the Jewish law was this. There were two camps. Rabbi Shammai was, was the leading teacher of a more conservative camp. And he said that uh, a man could divorce his wife if there was unfaithfulness. And Rabbi Hillel was the leader of a more progressive camp, and he said that a man could divorce his wife for any reason at all. Now, you might think, oh, well, Rabbi you know, Hillel is very enlightened. You know, if somebody's not happy, let them just do what they want. But he was not. He, he's, th this was all about men. Women had no say in this situation. He said that if your wife uh, burnt dinner, and she displeased you, then that was a good enough reason to divorce. If, if you found a younger model, that was a good enough reason for divorce. It was, it was actually, Rabbi, Rabbi Shammai's limitations on divorce was actually a blessing and a protection to women. Rabbi Hillel's anything goes was actually keeping women down. But why is it they would question Jesus about this? Because whether you were in the Shammai or the Hillel camp, you all agreed that divorce was okay. So why is Jesus being questioned about this? What was it that got John the Baptist in trouble with King Herod? Do you remember John the Baptist? You know, he, he spoke out against King Herod. King Herod had taken his brother's wife and married her while his brother was still alive. And John the Baptist had spoke out and said, you have done something that is wicked in the sight of God. You, the king of Israel, have done something that you should not do. So what the religious leaders are doing is they're setting a trap for Jesus. If Jesus affirms John the Baptist's position that by divorcing her husband and marrying Herod, that Herod and his wife had committed sin, had committed immorality, then Jesus would become an enemy of Herod, and then Herod will take Jesus out for them. If Jesus says, well, it's already settled, divorce is, is in the law, it's okay, 
then he would be undercutting John the Baptist and all of the people, the, the mass popular support was behind John the Baptist. The people thought John the Baptist was a prophet, which he was. They thought that he was sent from God, which he was. They thought that he had been executed unfairly by King Herod, which he had been. And so if Jesus undercut John the Baptist's teaching, then the, the religious leaders thought he'll lose the support of the people. So we win either way. If he agrees with John the Baptist, then Herod will take him out. If he disagrees with John the Baptist, then the people will stop following him. And we win. Verse 3, Jesus responds, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce. Interesting. Jesus did not mention Rabbi Hillel or Rabbi Shammai. He said, what is the word of God say. Radical thought. So many of the disagreements and debates that Christians have would be minimized or in some cases just totally done away with if we took Jesus's approach here. You know, John MacArthur says this. Yes, but Stephen Furtick says this. Well, Rick Warren says that. Well, John Wesley said this. Well, Martin Luther or John Calvin said that. And we, we argue about what Christian thinkers or leaders or teachers have said. And I'm thankful for the writings of so many that have blessed me and encouraged me. The sermons that I've heard that have spoken to my heart, I'm thankful for them. But Rick Warren isn't the Bible. John Wesley isn't the Word of God. Think of a, a person that's been influential in your life and they're used by God, but they're not the word of God. And that's our final authority, our ultimate authority. So Jesus says, hey, what does the Bible actually say? And they say, well, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Why was the law given? Jesus answers that. Verse five, Jesus said, it's because of your hearts that were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made the male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they shall no longer be two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Instead of teaching about divorce, Jesus teaches about marriage. He says, why was this law given? He said, it's because your hearts were hard. This is something we've heard somewhat repeatedly. It's a familiar refrain. Jesus said to his followers, you didn't understand because your hearts were hard. Or, or Mark says, they, they didn't listen to Jesus because of their hard hearts. If my heart is hardened to God, then I won't understand what God is trying to speak to me. And I won't do what God has called me to do. Moses established a law for a nation. This is where a lot of the confusion about the Old Testament law comes from. What's a law that is a universal law, like don't murder? And what's a law that's a national law? What's a law that was meant for a nation and not meant for people everywhere? There are many laws in the Old Testament that were not there because that's how God wanted it, but it was a recognition of this is what the people are going to do. 
So how do you establish a law that provides for certain protections because they're going to do this anyway because of their hard hearts? So instead of just chaos, Moses said, fine, this is the way that you end a marriage. But at the beginning, it was not so. God never designed these things to be temporary. God designed marriages to be lifelong. God hates divorce. Marriage is God's design and intention. From the beginning of creation, God made the male and female. I made a list of things that Jesus teaches in this passage, the, and, and some of them are not what we are talking about, so I'm going to uh, purposely skip over them, but God affirms uh, genders here. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. We are in mixed company, I always try to keep things PG-13, but I'm keeping them PG or G because we are in mixed company. Two flesh, two becomes one means exactly what it sounds like. Don't try to spiritualize it. It means exactly what it sounds like. Uh, They will be joined together and let no one separate. So Jesus is affirming the institution of the family. He's affirming the institution of marriage. He's saying, if, if you're married, you're married before God. You're, you are, you could leave your, your spouse and say, well, I've left them. And God says, not in my eyes. Marriage is God's design and intention. Now there are those who will never get married. There are those who will never get married. And if that's God's plan for you, then that's God's best for you. Most people will get married in their lifetime. That is God's, generally speaking, that is God's design and intention for people, that a man and a woman would join in this institution of marriage and the family. So what causes divorce? What causes marriages to end? Remember what Jesus said, it's because of your hard hearts. Divorce is caused by hardened hearts. If I don't have the the softened heart to hear from someone else, game over. But here's the good news. Divorce is caused by hard hearts. Jesus softens hearts. Jesus transforms hearts. He doesn't just save us so that we can go to heaven. He changes our very nature so that we can live in victory now. I, I know this. It is possible. It is possible that you may not see a way out for your marriage, that you may not see hope, but that God says, no, I, I, I can fix that. That just like somebody might've looked at your life and said, there's no chance that person can do anything worthwhile. And God said, no, I can take that. I can take that guy. I can take that gal. I can make something of them. Not because they're so great, but because of the greatness of God. And the same is true with marriages that are in trouble, that are in crisis. God can take the broken things and heal and make whole. Now that being said, it would be better to not get to that point of crisis. It would be better to stay out of crisis. Keeping our hearts soft, 
humble, pliable before the Lord so that we don't enter the crisis point, so that we stay strong in our relationships. Divorce is caused by hard hearts, but we have the Savior who transforms lives. And then, it says, When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this, and he answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. The first thing I would note here is that God gives clarification to those who ask. Not always. There are things that are mysterious. There are things where God says, we ask God a question and he says, I'm not going to answer it, but my grace is sufficient for you. There are still mysteries that we will not know in this life. But generally speaking, I have found that when I do not understand something, if I honestly and earnestly seek God and I open his word and I say, Lord, this is what I don't understand. I have been amazed how many times God has opened and brought me to the right place for the right answer. There was uncertainty. There was a need for clarification about this teaching. The religious leaders didn't go and ask Jesus but anyone who did come and ask got an answer. In general, God will answer the questions of those who seek him. Now, Jesus says, if anyone divorces his wife and marries another woman, he commits adultery against her. What that means is something radical to their ears. Their entire uh, cultural norms and traditions and everything was around the man. If, if a man left his wife, they didn't worry about her, they worried about him. If, if a man committed adultery with another man's wife, the issue wasn't so much about the woman, it was about his offense to the other man. Jesus said, if you leave your wife, you've sinned against her. That would have been a radical teaching to them. Jesus said, no, this is, this is how God views things. When does a person then stop being in adultery? I, I can't tell you 100% for sure, but this is what I believe. I believe that if, if a person leaves his or her spouse and remarries, and then realizes and recognizes their sin and says, God, I was wrong. Please forgive me. And if appropriate, they go to their ex-spouse and they say, I sinned against you. I sinned against God. And I, I want to repent and acknowledge my sin. I, I believe that from there on, God just says, go and sin no more. And I have known people who were unfaithful, who then remarried sinfully, but then repented, and God has used them in wonderful ways. And like I said, divorce should not be the unpardonable sin. People should not be ostracized for sins that they have repented of, and they are now walking in victory moving forward. 
God hates the things that destroys his kids. God hates the things that destroys his kids. If God hates divorce, it's because it will destroy, it will hurt. Children are damaged because of divorce. Lives are ruined because of divorce. God hates the things that destroys his kids. He hates the things that destroys you and destroys me. If you have a rebellious spirit, it will destroy you, and God hates that because it will destroy you. If you live in selfishness, God hates that because it will destroy you. He hates it for other reasons too, but a main reason is that he hates the things that destroys his kids because he loves you. You know, I'll tell you the truth. There's a lot of things in the Bible that are a little bit mysterious and where people say, I wish God was clearer about that. And I really hate that the Bible's a little vague about that. Marriage and divorce is not one of those things. The Bible is very clear. God designed marriage. Human sexuality is designed for the context of marriage. And marriage is to be between a man and a woman for a lifetime. It's very specific. And people don't like that. So you, you, you can't win. Here's what I do know, though. That if someone is caught in sin, those of us who are spiritual should do all that we can to restore them. And anyone who has fallen in this area, it's not the end of the road. Go and sin no more and walk in victory, walk in freedom, walk in holiness. It's not the end of the road. And we as a church should never ostracize or condemn somebody who has fallen but then repented and been restored. We should never do that. But we should know that in a world that is okay with this, in a world where relationships become more and more temporary, we can no longer walk in the ways of this world. We can no longer walk in the ways that destroy people. We have to walk different. The church does not have the same divorce rate as the world, and the world does not have a 50% divorce rate. Both of those things are false. But the divorce rate in the church is far too high, and the divorce rate in this country is far too high. But I'm not going to tell the unchurched what to do. I'm going to encourage those of us who are followers of Jesus to say, Lord, soften my heart. I'm not better than, any better than anyone else. It's hard work to stay married. It's worth it. Let's walk in the power and the victory that Jesus gives us so that we don't cause hurt and harm, but we can be agents of healing and health and wholeness in a broken world. However God has spoken to you this morning, I just pray that you would respond to him. If, you, if I said something that you're like, wait, did you mean to say that? Or I don't agree with that? Or I, I'm mad that you said that? That's fine. My, my email is adam at faithonhill.com. I'd love to hear from you. But however God's speaking to you this morning, whether you need to pray, whether you need to repent, whether you need a changed heart, 
I ask that and pray and beg that you respond to God and let Jesus do the work that he wants to do in your life. God bless you.